Hello and welcome back to Welfare, the running podcast with me, Amy Lane. Today we have a very special episode made possible by the National Lottery. Sometimes I forget how nice it is to run with a group. Don't get me wrong, running on your own is great, but there's something about that sense of community and to be honest, that lovely feeling of acceptance you get out of being part of a regular group. Take Parkrun, for example. They organise free weekly running events all over the world and encourage absolutely everyone to get involved, regardless of whether they're professional athletes or giving running a go for the first time. Over the years, I've collected many parkrun memories. But perhaps what stands out the most is when my husband and I joined Leon Solent Parkrun. It was so brilliantly diverse and welcoming that no one noticed that my husband had borrowed his dad's retro sports kit. And in just a few weeks, I no longer needed to bribe him with an almond croissant at the end to make him come running with me. That event helped us through a really tough winter and we even ran on his birthday which is something for a self-confessed non-runner. Over the years, the average parkrun time has gotten slower, which just goes to show that more people from more backgrounds with varying abilities and ages are all joining the weekly 5K. It's why it's so important that accessible sport like parkrun continue to receive funding. Thanks to national lottery players, 3.6 million has been raised for parkrun over the past eight years. And it's this support of grassroots organisations the ones that remove the barriers to exercise, that is so key for our emotional and physical health, but it's also key to a healthier future for our children. Parkrun is just one example of amazing projects supported by National Lottery players. As well as the 3.6 million raised to support Parkrun, over 900 parks have also received National Lottery funding since 1994. I'm very pleased to say that today I'll be chatting to the remarkable Chrissy Wellington OBE who works behind the scenes at Parkrun. Chrissy is a professional triathlete and four-time World Ironman champion. Yes, four times. It's fair to say that she has an impressive and extensive list of records behind her. Since sidestepping from professional sports in 2012, Chrissy has devoted her life to improving people's health and well-being, specifically working to engage people from all backgrounds to participate in physical activity. That's what she does as global lead for health and well-being for Parkrun. So th- every stage of, of my life, for me, the, the communal aspect of being active has been the most important. And like I said, when I was a professional athlete, I had the accolades and, and the crowns and the titles. And I, of course, I carry those with me. But what I hold most dearly is the gift of relationships. And it's this new role that's really inspiring because she's doing it to help more people come together and enjoy exercise. So whilst that world record for the Ironman distance of eight hours, 18 minutes to complete a 2.4 mile swim, a 112 mile bike and a marathon is up there in the things that she's most proud of. Today, she's using it to power a healthier future for the next generations. So it's efforts like that that can really shift the needle. And I'm not saying Parkman is the panacea, but it is definitely something that can help address some of those really entrenched and embedded inequalities that we're seeing and take some really positive steps to, to engage people in what is a really wonderful, unifying activity. 
So without any further ado, I'm going to move on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did recording it. Here is my conversation with the inspiring Chrissy Wellington. Welcome, Chrissy. Thanks so much for taking the time out of your day to join me on Welfare. How are you? I'm really, really well. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Oh, gosh, I am so excited to talk to you because your achievements are just insane, especially considering your backstory of how you got into being a sports person. So let's start with those achievements. Can you tell me about the titles and the awards that you have under your belt? I was so hoping you'd do this in the introduction because (laughs) it it feels to me so narcissistic to list, list these achievements. In terms of my sporting achievements, I was so honoured to be crowned four-time Ironman triathlon world champion and managed to hold a number of world records throughout my career. Does it still feel a bit foreign to you then? Because you've just said it feels a bit narcissistic to talk about those titles, but you you went for them, you trained for them. How comes it doesn't sit naturally with you? I think, Amy, because I didn't take a conventional path to professional sport. I never expected, intended to be a professional sports person. It's something, you know, I didn't aspire to be from a very young age, as as many sports people do. They have that laser sharp focus on their goal, you know, almost since they were in nappies. And I simply didn't have that. So to become a, a professional sports person, age 30, still, you know, still feels to me a little inconceivable and I still have to pinch myself as to the journey that that I actually went on as a professional athlete. Can we share a bit about that journey? Yeah, absolutely. I I grew up in Norfolk. I dedicated myself to academic excellence. I was active, but I only ever you know, did did sport or activity for for the social side and and never invested time and energy in exploring my potential and I kind of carried that approach through to university. And then after I left university, I really gave up sport altogether. I I took a gap year thinking that I wanted to be a solicitor. I'd signed for a law firm in London. My year started in, in Africa. And really, that was the first time that I'd questioned the direction of my life and to cut a very long story short, realised that in pursuing a career in law, I wasn't really anchoring my life around my own purpose. I wasn't living a life that was authentic to me. So instead of going into law, I carried on travelling and then did my MA in, in international development, in development economics, anchored around this kind of passion that I have to drive positive change. And it was really then, Amy, that I started running. I was, again, focusing very heavily on my academic studies. And we didn't really talk too much about mental health, you know, 20 years ago. But I took up running to to really nurture my mental health and really, really enjoyed it. And it was a revelation to me, A, that, that I enjoyed it, and B, that it was something that I found that I had a talent for. And I ran the London Marathon in in 2002 and that was really where I cut my teeth in endurance sports and inspired by a person that I met, I decided to dip my toe 
into triathlon, having never, ever ridden a road bike. Then I took a sabbatical, went to live and work and manage water and sanitation projects out in Nepal. And it was really in Nepal that the foundation of my not only physical strength, but psychological strength was was developed. And on coming back from Nepal, focusing on triathlon, age 29, achieved more than I could have ever imagined as an amateur athlete and faced this fork in the road in terms of, you know, did I give up a job, a job that I loved, a career that I was passionate about in international development and become a professional athlete? And, and you know, needless to say, I, I took the, the latter path and, and became a professional athlete aged age 30, which is which is somewhat late, not necessarily late for an endurance athlete, but definitely late in, in the context of, of prof- professional sport more generally. What an opportunity. But I've heard that in the early days, you didn't even have the right equipment to, to support <laughs> that, to support that change. And so you were just going like gung ho and at it, but you needed, you needed a bit of help in the equipment department. Yeah. Suffice it to say, I, I didn't have all the bells and whistles in terms of, you know, even running shoes or bikes. So I, I begged, stolen, I borrowed a lot. The very first bike I have, I actually, I wouldn't say I stole it. I borrowed it and I, and I actually, and I actually still have it. Just don't, don't tell the owner. But I, you know, again, triathlon is an incredibly supportive community. And, and I was really fortunate to have been lent the equipment that I did go on on to use as as a professional athlete but it 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 definitely shows that it's about the engine and the hard work and and the passion and 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 the enthusiasm so much more than the kit and the equipment obviously it is important but maybe not to the extent that that people might perceive it to be I do remember actually when I first started doing, I ran the London Marathon and that was kind of like my my gateway into actually doing this podcast and um, feeling like I was really part of the running community. But I remember when I first started training and I was really hung up on like what trainers I had and what trainers I needed. And it almost kind of like stopped me getting out there in those early weeks because I was so paranoid about the fact that I didn't have the right shoes on. And actually what I needed to do was just get out there and run. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and the marketeers would have us believe that you need to, to spend a fortune on those running shoes. But, you know, for me, sport is about the joyous uplifting experience of being out in the open air either alone or or with friends and really that's what matters of course you've got to have a a comfortable pair of of shoes that will support you in your endeavors but I don't think you necessarily need to spend as much as people might imagine to have that that phenomenal experience. You've mentioned two things actually about the first the first thing being that back in the day it was the social element of sport that engaged you and then actually when you started triathlon it was that community that kind of helped you on your way so how did you kind of juggle needing to be part of the community but then spending hours out there on the road or on the bike just training by yourself that's a an incredibly astute and interesting question as an athlete, I raced independently, and on the face of it, it can seem triathlon can seem like a very solitary sport. The same with with running, in that you compete, you know, on on race day alone. But you never get to the start line, and definitely don't get to the finish line without the support of an incredible 
community and and that was the case when I was an amateur athlete and definitely the case when I was a professional athlete that I you know benefited from the support of of so many so many people that were kind of all aligned around this this goal of enabling me to be the best athlete that that I could be but an element of training as you so you know rightly said an element of training as an athlete is to not only make yourself physically strong but to equip yourself with the psychological tools that you need to succeed. And part of that is being able to essentially be in your own head, to be able to endure that boredom. You know, an Ironman race, if, if you know, if it goes well for me is eight, you know, eight and a half hours, but for some it can go up to 17 hours. You need to be in your own mind and be able to be alone for for a long period of time so there's the need to train with others to benefit from that community that camaraderie that that motivation that friendly competition but there's also a need to balance that with with solitary training so that you equip yourself psychologically with the tools that you're going to need on race day so um i guess in answer to your question i balanced it with group training and and also training where where i was Whereas on my on my own and having to 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 ride the waves of the of the highs and highs and lows with you know only my mind and thoughts for company. And do you think it was that group training, that sense of community, that really engaged you back into exercise? Because I can imagine that over the years when you were doing your law training and then you were out in the pool, potentially like exercise fell off the wagon because maybe there wasn't enough time for it it wasn't the right space but then when you came back and you've come back to it it was the community that kind of got you back into it for me the the social element of of sport like i said to you before has always been been the anchor even when i was a child it wasn't so much about fulfilling my potential and about performance it was about having the opportunity to be with and make an incredibly strong network of friends. And when I went to live and work in Nepal, it was, again, sport that was the kind of anchor for the for the friendships that I was then make. So we, we met whilst mountain biking and it was so unifying because we, we were people from all over the world, including Nepali Sherpas, and we came together and we were unified by the, our passion for for mountain biking, so th- every stage of of my life for me the the communal aspect of being active has been the most important. And like I said, when I was, when I was a professional athlete, you know, I had the had the accolades and, and the crowns and the titles, and I, of course I carry those with me. But what I hold most dearly is the gift of relationships, those relationships that I made with others and and strengthened people that I knew and and people that I met through through the sport. So, yeah, for me, sport is is a very unifying communal experience. And and that's why that's why I love it so much. But I think there's also a value in in being alone and being active as well. I think we all need our own space. And, you know, in a very hectic life, it's very nice for me now to balance that kind of communal element with 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 time alone in the great outdoors. I personally find that there is nothing better than putting on my trainers and going out for a run when 
everything is feeling a bit much in my household. And that bit much can be for many reasons, toddlers, work, you know, just etc. But even just five or 10 minutes to put a bit of physical space just gives me so much more mental space. I agree. And it, and it doesn't have to be a run either. For me, going out for a walk is... I, I just I just find it so so liberating at this fast paced life for me to go out for a walk is kind of this the greatest act of of self care. So yeah, whether it's a walk or a run, I think you know being you know, putting your trainers on, your walking shoes on, whatever, and just getting out is is just so empowering and uplifting. That's such a lovely thing to hear. Such a fit endurance athlete say that you know it doesn't have to be long it doesn't have to be hard it can actually just be comfy and just get outside and enjoy it just go for a walk it doesn't have to be a run I think that's yeah. going to I think that's going to put a smile on a lot of people's faces listening in and that's you know that has been a challenge for me that that ability to to slow down and you know maybe you empathize as, as as a parent but you know children have have this ability to be very present and and to be in the moment and that's something our daughter has 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 taught me is that that need to be present but also that need to to, to slow down and just to appreciate the now and I find that walking is is a great way of kind of internalizing those messages and do you find that it's hard to get her to join in with that? You know, I'd love to say that our child was was motivated a hundred percent of the of time to you know to, to be outside and be active. She's she's like any any child, but we we lead by example. For us, it, it's not important that she knows what we achieved. My husband was a professional athlete as well. What we achieved as professional athletes for me that that's not important. It's the traits and behaviours and characteristics that went into us being successful in our chosen field that are important. So we we lead by example in terms of emulating those kind of traits and behaviours each and every day. So we are an active family and we do a lot of, of activity together. And, and she seems to really enjoy hill walking, which is fantastic and something that we can we can share. So for her, having this kind of aspirational target of getting to the top of a hill or the top of a mountain is is really kind of encouraging and motivating. So we really enjoy sharing that with her. But obviously there are days when, you know, getting her to put her, put her shoes on and get out the door is a challenge. But when you get the, the magic days when they, they say yes instead of no, we harness those and definitely enjoy being active together. I love the sound of the hill walking. That's something that I Actually, I might take into our lifestyle with with my toddler because we've got a we've got a giant hill near us called St Catherine's Hill in Winchester, and I walked up it. It's all steps going up. It's wooden steps, and I walked up it whilst pregnant. And it was my goal after having my first baby to get back to the top of that hill postpartum, and it's now a real thing in my life. It's like I go there whenever I need to feel good about myself. I go walk up that hill because it's like I've got to the top, I've achieved it and it just brings a real kind of, it's like a pat on the back. And to share that experience with with your child, I think makes it even more meaningful, doesn't it? Although I have to admit, there's a lot of bribery involved when it comes to <laughs> <our> walking. <laughs> 
<laughs> dolly mixtures, Percy pigs, you know, whatever it might. It's like dangling a carrot, isn't it? You just, you know, one more step and you get a dolly mixture. I was um, about to say, if you've got one of those like waistcoats with just the multiple <laughs> pockets that people normally wear fishing or something, but you've just got them full of snacks. Yeah, honestly, it's all about the snacks. It's still all about snacks for me and I'm 45. <laughs> I think though that that story and that enjoyment of exercise is a is a lovely segue into talking about your involvement with Park Run because for me that is such a family affair and it is such a leveler for runners. I've been to various park runs across the UK and I've been on holiday and it is just amazing to see the kind of the motley crew that turns up at Park Run and they're all there with different goals and Mm. they're there to do it for themselves. So I'd love to kind of dig into your involvement with Park Run. Firstly, how how did you get involved in in this organisation? I love the fact that you say it's a leveller. It it really is. It's so unifying and people can participate in whatever manner suits them. And I got involved subsequent to, I don't really like to say retiring, because it makes me sound like I'm sitting there with my feet up, but transitioning (laughs) away from professional sport. So I was still active and wanted a way to integrate into the community on my return from being and living overseas and happened upon Park Runner in in Richmond Park. On retiring, I wanted a way of combining my passion for for development and empowerment and kind of driving and catalyzing positive change with physical activity. And I was, you know, seeking out opportunities. So essentially my role, I guess in a nutshell, is developing interventions supported by Insight to engage as many people as possible in Park Run, but especially those that would benefit most from taking part, those with lower levels of activity, those with with poor health outcomes, those who face more significant barriers to being active in a communal environment. And is that quite refreshing? Because I can imagine that during your professional sports career, like everything you did was centered around you so whilst you had this goal of creating positive change really you were trying to be the best you could possibly be whereas now your day-to-day is helping others become the best or more people get involved in park run to have the best experience of it so it's about others not yourself oh that's so insightful professional sport is inherently selfish it's about your own, like you said, self-gratification and pursuit of your own sporting goals. And especially at the outset, I, tr- I struggled to reconcile that with, you know, my previous career, the things I'd seen on my travels, my desire to impact the world in really, really positive ways. And And it was my coach that said, look, Chrissy, the more you achieve in the sport, the more you can achieve out of it. And In saying that, he was very clever because he anchored my pursuit around my why and he made me realise that sport was not an end. It was a means to a a greater good. And I've managed to, I guess, make his prophecy come true in that sport's given me this incredible platform to, to drive positive change. And I really feel so fortunate through this role to yes, be able to build on the, you know, the platform I developed as a very selfish professional athlete, repurpose that to something that will hopefully 
catalyze you know change in in others so i i i feel really fortunate to work for an organization whose kind of mission and and ethos so closely matches my own and that is you know simply making activity as accessible as as possible to as many people as possible so 2013 you joined so coming up 10 years next year is there yeah is there a regular who has kind of been on that journey with you or is there somebody who's attended park run that that you've seen and you've gone i'm achieving my mission this is worth it Oh, and we have seven million registrants, <laughs> and so if you could just choose one, I, that would be fun. Just, 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 just choose one each and every single day, not just on a park run weekend, but but the you know the messages and emails we receive during the week remind me of the impact that park run has had on so many people's lives, not only in the UK but around the world. I, I mean, I can share a few. There's a gentleman, John, at Southport Park Run, and he tragically lost his wife. And it was being part of the Park Run community that gave him that that support and comfort that he needed to kind of process and and, and deal with his grief. There's a woman, Catherine, who had Parkinson's and made it her goal to walk at Park Run and now walks regularly at Park Run. Grace Chambers, who took up Park Run at the ripe old age of 83, having been diagnosed with a heart condition. And she's done 139 Park Runs and volunteered wow. 22 times. So there's people like this that honestly remind us all, not just me, every member of staff each and every day that, that you know, what we do and the organisation that we are so fortunate to work for really does change lives in in very very profound ways they're amazing that group I've got somebody to add to that actually because I I recently had my second son I was chatting to my breastfeeding counsellor and she was saying about how she just done her first park run and she hadn't run in 30 years because she was just too afraid to go out there and, and run. So her son, her 30-year-old son, has been helping her get confident with running. And then they ran Park Run together. And he was he was like her pacer. And she said it was the furthest she'd run in 30 years. And she just never thought she'd be able to do it. And it was just, it just reminded me of my days back in Park Run, because I haven't haven't been in about 18 months, first because of lockdown and then babies. And it just reminded me of of that crew that I was talking about, all the people from different walks of life just coming together. And it's it's just amazing. And that's the beauty of Park Run though, Amy. You can pick it up as and when you want to. It is there every single week. And there's people that obviously take part every week, but there's people like you that might pick it up and and then feel that it's not right for them at, at that stage in in their life. So just knowing that it's there and and you know, open to you as and when you want it, I think is is really important, not only for you, but but for everyone. But, you know, your anecdote also speaks to that kind of intergenerational aspect. And you said right at the outset that it's a real, you know, it's an incredible family activity. And, and that really is the case. It, it unifies people across generations, across physical fitness levels, you know, backgrounds, abilities. It's It's really quite 
unifying in in that way and and that's in part why I love it so much one of the things that obviously helps it keep going because it is a free a free event and like you said we you know we can all drop into it whenever we want and so one of the things that keeps it going is the funding so how did it feel when the parkrun team found out they'd received national lottery funding was there big whoops and cheers in the office <laughs> you probably could have heard them, you know, kind of countrywide. <laughs> Champagne corks were were, were popped. No, we we were smiling from ear to ear, and I guess both in terms of the opportunities that that presented to dedicate ourselves to some really really important work that we hadn't really hitherto had the resources to invest in, and. I think very important, it's also an acknowledgement of the power and potential of Part Run and, and that belief in Part Run to to change lives and, and a recognition, I guess, of the commitment and the dedication of, of this very small staff team to the important work that that we do. But it I mean it's not hyperbole to say that it was it was groundbreaking for, for Part Run to to receive the National Lottery funding, it really was. So the National Lottery funding specifically helped Parkrun to change people's lives through fitness and community. How has that changed how Parkrun operates? Have you been able to put on more runs? Have you managed to move into different countries? I'm just intrigued for those listening in that, you know, love Parkrun. What have you been able to achieve with the funding? Well, like you said, I mean, what's so important is that Parkrun is free it's for everyone and it's forever. But we need the funding from the National Lottery to be able to, you know, achieve those really, really important objectives. And that funding was applied to every single area of the business. So whether it was event activation and delivery, what we call operations, developing research and insight, our communications work, our outreach and engagement projects. So the the funding was used across the board and enabled us to really strengthen and deepen our efforts to engage those that would benefit most, especially increasing the number of events and the number of participants at those events in areas of social deprivation and the number of women and girls that are taking part in Park Run. So that, yeah, that funding really enabled us to devote ourselves to that incredibly important work. Because I think I'm correct in saying this. I think there's an area in Glasgow where there isn't many healthcare resources. I believe there's no GP, no pharmacist, there's no gym, but there's a Park Run that's managed to have set up recently. I don't know about that particular park run but you know what i would say is that park run is a phenomenal public health intervention obviously the nhs plays an incredibly important part but park run in its impact on health and well-being and not only physical health but but mental and emotional and community health is so so important so i think it 
it can help to really re- revitalize communities and impact the health and well-being of, of people in those communities in incredibly, incredibly positive ways. And you just mentioned about recruiting more women to Parkrun. And I think that comes at a really, really key time because I read about research yesterday where there was a research study done on 8,000 men and women and 38% of the women had done no exercise in the last year and 40% of those women cited embarrassment for the main reason for not exercising. And it's just A, really, really saddening, but B, really telling of the times that we live in that, you know, probably linked to social media that we're too embarrassed to go out there and exercise. So having these communities that do welcome and do make people feel at home are so important. They really are and our insight also suggests that women more than more than men feel that fear of judgment and that fear of not being fit enough. And again, the National Lottery funding has enabled us to intensify our efforts to address some of those those barriers to participation and develop interventions to better engage women and girls that, that, that do face significant barriers to being active. And we're really proud that Part Run is considered to be a very safe, supporting, welcoming, non-judgmental place for people of all ages and all abilities and all genders to to be active. And the, the funding from the National Lottery, for example, enabled us to develop some very targeted campaigns partnering with this girl, can in 2020 and again in March this year. And globally, 100,000 women and girls joined us across about 2,000 events on, on wow. that weekend in, in March. 7,000 women and girls volunteered in England alone on that weekend. So it's efforts like that that can really shift the needle. And I'm not saying Part Run is the panacea, but it is definitely something that can help address some of those really entrenched and embedded inequalities that we're that we're seeing and take some really positive steps to to engage people in what is a really wonderful unifying activity oh gosh i i so agree with that and actually let's stay on that subject of engaging people because the welfare community they're listening to a running podcast it's safe to say that they're runners but i can probably bet that a lot of our our listeners have a friend who wants to start running, or maybe it's a family member, but has used that phrase, I can't run. So for those listeners that are having those type of conversations, how can they get their friend or family member to feel confident about just putting on their trainers and having a go? Is there any kind of like tips that you've got in your arsenal that you could share? Amy, I was that person that said that I can't run. I used to go, I still do, I used to go bright red when I ran and got very embarrassed when went even, even redder and just thought that running was not for me and it wasn't helped. Actually, someone said, you, you're not built like a runner, whatever a runner is supposed to be built like, but apparently I wasn't built like a runner. And I was that person that had discounted running as something that wasn't for me. And 
I think first and foremost, like I said before, there's that power in surrounding yourself by really uplifting positive people so if you're trying to influence someone and encourage them to make you know small steps firstly be that role model be that source of positivity that that can do person for them I think sometimes that that mountain can seem inconceivable it was the same for me when you know I thought about the marathon or when I thought about Iron Man, and so it's just taking those small steps. I never started triathlon ever expecting to do Iron Man. I thought it was the stupid, crazy people because it just <laughs> seemed so inconceivable. So you just take small steps, just take that very, very first step. You know, like you said, just put your trainers on. If you don't want to run, just go out and walk, walk for a minute, walk for two minutes. You know, if you want to go for a run, just do, to say, look, I'm going to run for one minute. I'm going to run for one minute. And just take that that very, very first step. I think try and be curious and and be willing to explore because I just think we all have the extraordinary within us. I think there's this whole world of potential that lies within all of us beyond the limits that we imagine that there are if that does that make sense i could never have imagined achieving what i did i could never have imagined running a 10k i could never have imagined running a half marathon let alone doing a marathon let alone doing an ironman but i'm curious about what my possibilities and my potential Ah, oh, and I think that that curiosity has compelled me to to explore. And how about though? Because I've heard you say so. Obviously, that curiosity has kept you pushing on. But how about the discomfort that you experience along the way? Because I've heard you say before that you know it was the discomfort of racing is what you enjoyed. So, but I feel like you're one of the few maybe because I know that when I when things feel tough I either do dig deep you know pick my knees up and keep running or I stop so how did you learn to like love that discomfort and for those listening in how can they just learn to maybe just be okay with the discomfort if loving it it's offset, but sport is analogous to, to life. And I very much expect there to be highs and lows. So yes, I do embrace it because it's an indicator that I'm I'm testing myself and I'm pushing myself beyond beyond my limits. But I also I I expect it. So I think it's very tempting to, to to think that life needs to be perfect and by perfect that there are no bumps in the road, there are no hurdles, there's no adversity, there's no discomfort, but that's not real life. We are going to encounter that. We're going to encounter that on our life journey and on our sporting journey. So for me, it's developing the, the tools and the strategies that I need when discomfort strikes to be able to deal with it. It's not that I'm sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, I really hope that I get a horrendous pain in my leg or I really hope that I get a cramp. It's not that at all. But but I, I know that there will be times where that happens and I know that I'm equipped 
through my training to to deal with that. So whether that's, you know, having a positive mantra, positive imagery, breaking things down to, you know, very, very small steps. So having those kind of stepping stone goals, reciting poetry and, you know, in, in my head, utilising the power of, you know, external support, obviously really, really important. And that power of recollection is, for me, incredibly empowering. Just knowing that in sport and in life, I have overcome pain and adversity. When it strikes, I remind myself that I've been there before and I've endured and I've encountered and I've overcome and I can do it again. So I think it's not necessarily that I hope to experience discomfort, although it is a sign I'm testing myself, but it's that I feel confident and I feel peace of mind that human beings are resilient. We're psychologically and physically resilient. And I think it's when we put ourselves out there and we step outside of our comfort zone, we realise just how phenomenally resilient we can be. You just mentioned mantras. So have you had one that you repeat in your head? Because I found in the past few years that, you know, because you can put a slogan or a mantra on anything these days, I feel like the power of the mantra or the power of repetitive saying has been so commercialised, it's kind of maybe overlooked by many, but I personally have found them really useful. So I just wondered if you've had one that has always stayed with you throughout your career and that's what you used during those times? It's really important to find kind of motivational tools that are relevant to you. So what works for me might not work for someone else. I have found having a mantra incredibly empowering and uplifting and I always wrote the same... (laughs) mantra on my on the top of my water bottle so when you're obviously on the bike it's in your water bottle holder so you can see it when you you look down so it was on the top of my water bottle and it was on my race wristband so you get given a race wristband which remains on you know day before and then for the duration of the race obviously and so it was never give up and smile you know for me that was a, a reminder to be resilient and to persevere but also to enjoy that process. And for me, smiling was both important internally in terms of, you know, physiologically, it is very uplifting, but also externally in the message that it conveys to others about the beauty and the joy of of sport. So that that was my mantra. It was personal to me and you know it, it remains so to this day. Have you got it on got it on your desk? I got it on quite a few got it on everything. <laughs> <laughs> branded product. I'm yes, into it. Branded. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned about smiling and enjoying it. How can those listening in continue to enjoy running on on an everyday, every month basis when they're not always working to a goal? Because I found that often when I've been training for a race or training for a time I'm really engaged and it keeps me pushing forward and then once I've completed it that you know and 
the next day the high's gone and the doms have set in, I find that I take a bit of time off and then I really struggle to get back into kind of my exercise rhythm. I would suggest that it's Have another goal. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, another goal. Honestly, yeah, I mean, it is in so incredibly tempting to immediately set a new goal. And for some that is, that's incredibly important, but focusing on the process and the reasons that you enjoy the journey to that goal, whether or not you achieve it, is is very important. So why do I enjoy walking, running, you know, doing triathlon? Well, it's the opportunity to be outside, to my, move my body in a range of different ways, to be with my friends, to test myself. So I can experience the the joys of of activity by focusing all of those things regardless of whether or not I've I've got the goal if if that makes sense so if if people don't necessarily have a goal or don't want to set a sporting goal they can still enjoy every aspect of being active doesn't have to be running you know just by doing it with others being outside breathing fresh air setting yourself little targets that give you that that sense of sense of achievement so i i think focusing very much on on that process is as if not more important than than that outcome goal because the outcome goal will satiate for a period of time and then you need to get your next fix. So I definitely think that for me, that that journey is is incredibly important and, and what I try to try to focus on. I love that. And remind me of the gentleman's name who sadly lost his wife on Christmas Day again, but found Parkrun. John. John. John Howard, yeah. Be more John. Parkrun. <laughs> be more John yeah absolutely be, be but that John. community is so important and part run can be for the you know those that that love to run and love to challenge themselves and be competitive but it can also be for those that want to walk those that want to volunteer those that simply want to come along and be part of a wider community and like John get the support and encouragement from family from from friends so it can really be whatever ever you want it to be I love that and so last question then I'm gonna I'm gonna split into two what would you say to somebody who wants to use park run to get faster but maybe feels a little bit uncomfortable about lapping people is there any ways that you know you can go to this really inclusive lovely run but race and then secondly one piece of advice for somebody who's never been to park run okay so the first one yeah like i said you can take part in park run in whatever way you want so i've definitely participated in park run and and gone all out and try to you know run as fast as I as I possibly 
can and and the key to trying to do that is pick all the people off in, in in front of you but you know what we find is that most people regardless of their ability are respectful of others ultimately it's not a race and we need to remember that and we need to be respectful of people that are participating in a variety of of different ways so I think if you did want to take part in part run and did want to run a fast time then it's definitely a great place to do that and we we are so fortunate to see many professional athletes athletes that, that come to part run and and do so but we also see many professional athletes that come down and and decide to walk at the event and volunteer at the event too lovely and then for somebody who has never been to park run is a little bit apprehensive of coming and they're worried about being left behind what would you what would you say to them okay i understand your fears they're they're very real and so many others have felt the same and, and managed to overcome them. So trust that you can too. You will never be left behind. You'll never be the last one to finish. Every single event has what we call a tail walker that's a volunteer that always finishes last. So you will never be the last person to finish. I would suggest that if you're comfortable doing so, join with a family member or a friend and go along with them. If you don't feel comfortable walking or running, um, you could always volunteer. There's no experience required at all. It's a phenomenal way of being part of a great community and experiencing all the wonderful benefits. If you don't want to volunteer, walk or run, come along and watch. Just come out, come hang out in the park, see what it's all about, join everyone for a, a coffee and a chat afterwards. And you can see for yourself that it really is open to all. If you can't get down to a park run on any particular weekend, consume you know the content across social media and hopefully that will convince you that the park run is for you it's it really is for everyone oh I love that and so to everyone listening in if if you need a bit of reading material first for friends or family that may not be runners like yourselves open up the blog and just just leave it there on the computer well Chrissy thank you so much for joining me today on welfare it's been so insightful and such a lovely chat and I'm so thankful to have you on the show Thank you so much. It's been great to, great to talk to you and, and just share the passion for being active and for Park Run. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to National Lottery players, 3.6 million has been raised for Park Run over the past eight years. If you like this episode, please do rate, review and subscribe. It really helps other runners in need of some help find the show and join our community too. Don't forget to use hashtag welfare on all your IG posts because I love seeing them. Thanks very much, guys. Listener.